It's the Supernaturals podcast show. Yes, that's the podcast that you're listening to. This joint exists to connect, equip, and promote emerging supernaturals on a global level. And I trust that's why you're listening. It's your desire to see God's kingdom come. His will be done, established through your creative daily contribution. It's such an honor to have you listening to the podcast today. Look, guys, today, Charlie Champ sits down with James Gall in his home. They sit down and chat about the history of the prophetic and the last 40 years of prophetic ministry um, in the life of James Gall. This is an amazing conversation. It's personal, it's relatable, and it's full of just interesting tidbits and conversations and um, and opinions. And uh, th- look, this is going to be a lot of fun, but Before we dive into it, I just want to let you know that the future is bright and hopeful for this podcast. All kinds of amazing stuff coming up, including next week, a two and a half um, conversation, two and a half hour conversation with Bobby Connor. Look, there's probably about 35 minutes worth of just Bob Jones stories. He talks about um, encountering heaven. He talks about, um, uh, uh, we we dive into politics. We dive into AI. We dive into um, uh, medical and technological breakthroughs. We dive into all kinds of incredible stuff. Guys, that's next week. And then after that, Charlie Champ sits down with Todd Bentley for a very candid, personal um, conversation. You guys are going to dig that. And then, look, we got uh, interviews with um, Liz Wright, Jonathan Cotton, Jamie Galloway, John Thomas. All this and more is coming up. So make sure, make sure that you subscribe to this podcast on iTunes. To do that, go to thedarrenshow.com. Again, that's thedarrenshow.com. That'll redirect you to iTunes, okay? Subscribe, and that'll keep weekly supernatural content downloading onto your streaming device. May it be your cell phone, your tablet, or your desktop computer, all right? Also, for you video peeps where you'd rather watch something than listen to it, we are on YouTubes right now. That's right. We're on the tubes right now. And so you can go to youtube.com, do a search, okay, for Darren Stott and Supernaturalist Ministries, or just put Supernaturalist Ministries in there, and we'll come up. Subscribe on there because, guys, these video conversations are a riot, (laughs) all right? All right, so without any more distraction, let's dive into this awesome conversation between two prophets, guys. It's Charlie Champ and James Gall right here right now on the Supernaturalist podcast show. Let's go. Connecting, equipping, and promoting emerging supernaturalists. <laughs> even created for such a time as this. All right, and here we go. <laughs> there is more. He said, what? Dr. James Gall, it's great to have you on the program today. Hey, thank you. Love you, Charlie and Darren and the whole crew out there. Yeah, I have to say, James, you're one of the most best dressed <laughs> fathers in the faith in the charismatic and Pentecostal movement. Where, where do you kind of get your... My vibe? Yeah, yeah. I mean, oh. I, I, I want to ask you this because... <laughs> That's I'm cool. Like, I like that. Yeah. Because I'm sitting with the mirror of the hipster prophet of your generation okay okay so it's like yo boy come on i take that as a compliment it is a compliment yes so do you say a lot of fashion or like how have you been able to keep up on date on that stuff well i wasn't i got out of dated and so here's here's the hilarious story i i was caught between you know the, the thing of like getting older and and all of that and and so my oldest daughter none of my kids were married yet and all my kids are in the arts, entertainment, and media uh, industry. Right. And so my youngest daughter, I think, was attending the Art Institute in Chicago, working on her master's in art therapy. She comes home one weekend. She goes into my closet without telling me, takes half of my clothes out of the closet and burns them. No way. Yeah, she actually did. Wow. <laughs> I thought maybe she trashed them. I asked her like, not long ago recently said grayson did you actually burn my clothes you could have given them good no dad i burned them i really did (laughs) 
And then she says to me, she says, Dad, just because you're getting older doesn't mean you need to look older and act older. Wow. And I went, huh, she's on to something. And I processed it in another dimension. And I went, I wonder if she's actually speaking prophetically and she doesn't know it. Wow. Because there is a realm, there is a truth, not the truth, there is a truth that you are as young as you feel. You are as young as you present yourself. Now, I know that that can get warped and be wrong. but So there's part of the origin. She burns half my clothes because they were oldster. I, I was caught in a funk between who I was and where I was going and all that stuff. And she says, Dad, just because you're getting older doesn't mean you have to act old and look old. So then she taught me how to wear T-shirts and then button my shirt. Wow. (laughs) Wow. So people think that it was my youngest daughter, Rachel, who is a model to this day here in Nashville. Yeah. She does photo shoots every week. And so people think it was Rachel. But... The storyline there is also very important because I learned in parenting, when your kids are young, like some of you out there, you define their world. Their world is your world. You define it. There's a transition, which I cannot define for you, your kid, because all kids are different. And your Mm -hmm. job as a parent, part of your job, is to help discover their passion. Wow. Their calling, their gift. And you help shape them to be able to carry, have character or integrity, to carry that dimension. And then when they discover and you discover with them what's their desire, what's their passion, you could say gifting and calling, then your job shifts and their world can become your world And if their world becomes your world, you will not just end up with a function, Hmm. which that's what happens in in most parents. They later end up with a function only. You won't only have a function, you'll have a relationship. So my oldest son is a TV film editor, 35 years old, in Hollywood today. He just did the senior editing for um, Surviving R. Kelly, docuseries six. Wow. And, and, And I think it'll win an Emmy. Next, this next year it's what i think but i'm a proud papa so right. but he's the senior editor and the storyboard person for that whole series now where did he get that skill at the age of 14 he had already professional level critiqued over 300 movies wow in cinematography costuming screenplay actors music, the whole bit, Mm. for 300 films at 14. That means how many movies had he already watched? Right. So I saw early on a call to the arts and entertainment media on his life. So what was I going to do? Because he loved movies. So it was a stretch because I was much more legalistically religious. So I jumped into his world with him. Mm. And now what's one of my great pastimes movies wow because when i got into his world his world became my world and now i don't only have a function i actually have a certain degree of understanding of his world same thing happened with rachel on fashion so at 17 when her mother was very sick with cancer and could not go shopping with her what did i do i'm the one who went shopping with rachel at 17 years old to go to the mall, to pick out her clothes for creative runway, fashion runway, and even swimsuit competition. Mm. And, and, it, and it was one piece, so it was all conservative. But I went in there, and I started watching television shows to learn about fashion because my daughter was called to it mm. with integrity. So her world became my world, and then I started to enjoy her world as much as she does. Wow. So that's how you ask the simple question, but it goes yeah. into parenting right. approaches. Right. So I did learn from some things I suffered, 
And I also learned because I got into my kids' worlds. Mm. And so to this day, like my youngest daughter, Rachel, is now 21, 29 years old. But she does a photo shoot every week here in Nashville. And, um, and, and for magazines and, you know, different things and for clothing lines and stuff. And so, but their world, I follow fashion today. Right. Why? Because it's a part of me being relevant in today's world. And, uh, but I also, it was a skill I learned in raising my kids. I would have had a ball being your dad. Really? Oh, I can tell you. I would have taken to all the Holy Ghost meetings, and then I would have gone, huh, how's this kid's bent? Who is this? Dude, this guy's got a look. Right. Huh, what can I do to help him not get egotistic about his swag? Mm-hmm. And yet, how could I help him like carry it in a way that he's not overly drawing attention to himself, and yet he's like really tasteful? Wow, yeah. <laughs> Well, let me. That was a big question. No, no, no. But that leads me. That actually leads me into a discussion that I want to have with you, in in that I want to dive into your world. Yeah. Of the prophetic. Yeah, sure. And I want to ask you. Mm-hmm. You're 66 now. Yeah. Uh-huh. You've been through many, many movements mm-hmm. in, the, sure. in, in in you know throughout you know, three decades. Four. Four decades mm-hmm. of ministry, and what would mm-hmm. a th- what would Today, a 66-year-old mm-hmm. James Gall, prophetic mm-hmm. papa for yep. a generation, say to a 37-year-old James Gall that was just really, that would have been around the Kansas City prophet time. Right. Mm-hmm. Just, I mean, that wasn't necessarily your forging and fire of the prophetic movement, but that would be the beginning days. Actually, my beginning days were a decade before that. Okay. Or even more, because when I got filled with the Holy Spirit when I was 20 years old, the first thing I did was prophesy. So I have been prophesying with the gift of prophecy, and right. I was a prophet. So now, I have, did you know you were prophesying yes. during that time? Okay. Yeah. When I first got baptized in the Holy Spirit, I didn't speak in tongues first. I first of all, I prophesied. Wow. And that is your, like in a biblical interpretation, it's the law of first reference, and mm-hmm. the first mention in Scripture gives it a, a, a shadow, a foretaste of that, uh, that symbol, that word, that phrase, and how it's going to be used throughout the rest of Scripture. It's, right. it's a hermeneutical uh, uh, tool of interpreting the Bible. It's also true in our spiritual activity. So what's your origins? So for me, there were two things that happened. I bubbled up gust forth a prophecy. Wow. That I remember to this day. I know the very first prophecy I ever heard what came out of my own mouth. Because I wasn't in, there wasn't the culture where prophecy was prevalent at that time. It existed, but I was not um, around it. So bubble up gush forth in, uh, when I'm 20 years old, I hear myself saying, as it was in the last week of the last days of the earthly ministry of Jesus, when he went to the Father's house and he declared that my Father's house shall be a house of prayer for all the nations, so shall it be in the last week in the spirit of Jesus's ministry in the earth in the spirit. He will come to visit the Father's house once again. Mm. He will declare the Father's house is to be a house of prayer for all the nations. He'll cleanse the Father's house. He'll go to the ceremonial caged dove. He'll rip it open. The dove of God will fly free, and he'll make a declaration that healing is the children's bread. And so will it be in the last days of the last week of Jesus's ministry in the spirit, in the earth, as it was in the beginning, it will be to the end. And I didn't know what I was doing. That was the first prophecy I ever heard. And it's ingrained in me. And that first prophecy, I know this isn't exactly what you asked, but that first prophecy, how old was I? I was, um, I was 20 years old. And so that is 46 years ago. I started prophesying when I was 46 years ago. Wow. So, and then I spoke in tongues. And then I had what was called mental snapshot pictures. 
There was no schools of the Holy Spirit. There were no schools of the prophet. There wasn't hardly any books written on the prophetic. There were, actually, there wasn't any. And it wasn't until like in 77, 79 then, until about five years or so later, yeah, five years or so later, then John Sanford and Paula came out with Elijah Task. When I got that book, I carried it with my Bible for a solid year because it's like, oh my God, I'm sane. I am sane. Right. Here's something. Look at this. Wow. Yeah. And it okay. still is a modern classic, Elijah Task by yeah. John Sanford. And so um, there's my origins. So as far as like full-time vocational ministry, I got a degree in social work. I was a brainiac in growing up, though. I was a equal arts as a singer, mm -hmm. and I excelled, and I won awards, and I was a scholar. So I graduated and had four scholarships to universities when I graduated from high school, valedictorian in my class. But I was torn between right and left brain, but I didn't even know what that meant. And then it was only two years later when I got exposed to uh, the Jesus People and Campus Crusade for Christ and the Cotton Bowl for uh, 100,000 uh, young people came together, Explo right. 72. I heard uh, Dr. Billy Graham speak the fifth night, and I dedicated my life at the fifth night at the Cotton Bowl to full-time Christian service from out of the preaching of that amazing man of God. Mm. And so from that point on then, did I know I was called to be a prophet? Probably not, but I knew that I was consecrated by the prayers of my mother and that I would never ever be able to live a successful sinning life, nor did I want to, nor did I want to. And I lived an upright, pure, holy life. In my teens, I honored my father and my mother I walked in righteousness as a kid. Mm -hmm. and, and a lot of it was the prayers of my mother. And so then when I got filled with the Spirit, I started prophesying. And then so then two years later, after that, I started praying virtually every week for 10 straight years for the school of the prophets to come forth. And I'm prophesying. I went into full-time vocational ministry as soon as I graduated from college. In the fall of 19, I graduated from college in 74, and then in the fall of 74, I went into campus ministry. And I would prophesy over people, and I had a deliverance ministry. Mm. My strongest gift was probably discerning of spirits and maybe the gift of prophecy number two. That's probably still that way to this day. And, um, and I shared from my heart. I wasn't a teacher as I am today. And I would share from my heart. So for 10 years, Charlie, I prayed for the school of the prophets to come forth. At the end of those 10 years, I meet Bob Jones. And this is, what year is this? Then that's 1983. That's 83. And I graduated from college in 74. I'd prayed 10 years for the School of the Prophets, and 10 years later, I meet Seer Prophet Bob Jones in 1983 at uh, Mike Bickle had moved to Kansas City, and he called for a 21-day Joel's Army fast. I gave myself to 21 days of prayer and fasting. On the 19th day, we had 21 days, nights of worship. I was pastoring in Warrensburg, Missouri, Harvest Fellowship, which still exists to this day. It's a very vibrant church in a college town, Air Force Base, Warrensburg, Missouri. Man, I'm so proud of what God's doing in that church there today. It's just awesome. And um, But I helped birth that church. And so I was already prophesying. I was already established in the Midwest. So someone with a prophetic ministry mm. was I recognized now, as a was prophet. That, was that was that very controversial during that time? Yes. And were you more um, apt to take your time in releasing pro prophecy and the prophetic? Because it seems pretty prevalent today. Yeah, and it's very easy it to just get prevalent. on. It wasn't prevalent then, right? No. So yeah. So. You definitely wouldn't start there, that's for sure. Now, see, words of knowledge for healing was always more accepted. Mm. It always has been. 
So because there's always been the Catherine Kuhlmans, there's always been, and then the Benny Hens, and there's always been, in my case, the Mahesh Shavdas, who's been a forerunner for me. And so there's always been words of knowledge as pertains to healing. That has always been, for whatever reason, more widely accepted than prophecy. Now, I didn't grow up in the Christian International camp, you see, with a Bishop Bill Hammond. I came up more in the seer camp. And so visions, dreams, the understandings of that prophetic stream were minimal. It was almost virtually non-existent. Now, bubble up gush forth was much more in the prophetic, was much more understood. But dreams and visions, angelic visitations, it's like, huh, who are you? Uh, how do you deserve to have that? Are you like puffing yourself up? Is this real? Is that hamburger helper? Or is this sort of like a, you're on a pride trip? Yeah, yeah. Because before that, you would say the only person that really, not in church history, mm-hmm. yeah. but oh, that no. would be recognized in the 20th century as a prophet would have been Branham. As far as visions and and dreams and, and that. And I that. would say Kenneth Hagin did, though, also. Okay. There are there are several that in their healing package with the word of knowledge, there was also, like Kenneth Hagin, would get caught up in trances in front of everybody. Mm-hmm. It was just fascinating, and he would go otherly. The problem was they weren't necessarily, like on the prophetic side, their equippers where they could teach it and train it and give language to it. But they did walk in it. Mariah Woodworth Ed, or oh my gosh, if okay. we really want to go back, okay. there we've got a lot of full-blown, bizarre packages of not just the bubble up, gush forth. But what you're saying is totally correct. It's much more rare. And so it was not understood. I come along with hearing, but I came along with seeing. And I would have then snapshot pictures and like a light bulb would go off. Now I'm dealing with old school technology, a Polaroid camera, mm-hmm. have an external flash bulb. The bulb, the light would flash, go off in a millisecond and the picture developed on the inside. That's how I learned how visions work. But I didn't know that those were visions. So I didn't know what to call them. So I called them snapshot pictures. But I didn't know that they were the, the level of credibility of like in the Bible of a vision. But they are. Mm-hmm. But they're just a short. They're not a panorama, right. an open rolling motion picture in front of your eyes. That's another realm. Mm-hmm. And so I would prophesy and I would have mental light flashes that would develop into a picture in the internal screen of my soul, Mm. maybe my spirit, that God's spirit in union with our spirit communes. And then there's a projector screen. And where does the readout come? The readout comes more in the soul realm, but it takes place in the spirit and it gets projected onto the soul and then we read it. Yeah, so you got to interpret what you're seeing. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. So there wasn't anybody teaching how to interpret what you saw. So this is the era of pioneering, basically, that whole that whole that whole movement. Really. Yeah, I mean and, totally. and, and, and to think about let me totally. and, and and totally to qualify <laughs> that kind of just snapshot yeah. uh-huh. and and put it alongside a like a biblical context of where a lot like Enoch or yeah. um one of the prophets of the Old Testament were having visions mm-hmm. like uh, and bringing that into into the same biblical framework uh-huh. of how God speaks yeah. was difficult during that time to get people to believe that or, um, you, or yeah. as opposed to like um, yeah. Ezekiel where he's getting caught up and he's seeing these panoramic all, all, all of that realm would have been very difficult to explain okay all of it now hearing God and in a gift of prophecy, vocalizing was more accepted. The seer, all of these seer realms of the trances, the getting caught up, the transportation, the uh, panoramic visions, the dreams, 
there was zero teaching on all of that. There was absolutely zero. Even in um, John Sanford's book on uh, Elijah Task, it touched it, but it didn't develop it. Mm-hmm. There was early on a book by Kevin Connor from out of Australia, interpreting symbols and types. I got hold of that, and it went through basics about colors and numbers. That was the first one of the first tools. There was some older literature eventually that I found, but you had to go search for it okay. because it wasn't known. And um, Austin Sparks wrote a book on prophetic ministry. Um, and then you, but it was years, years, years later that I learned about the Desert Fathers and the Christian mystics. When I found that, and I found St. Teresa of Avila and people of that nature, there I found in church history the precedent of trances, visions, the ecstatic realms. Okay. And um, so, like prophecy of a presbytery, like prophetically gifted elders, was minimally accepted. But this other realm of visitations, people would acknowledge that it existed because it's in the Bible. Mm-hmm. And Jesus is the same today and yesterday, today and forever. But they didn't know what to do with it, and they weren't sure if you were a quack right. on a pride trip or on drugs and a leftover residue of drugs. Wow. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Because what did drugs do? Right. Drugs threw people into psychedelic realms. Right. And so people, and that was the era that this also in the spirit, holy spirit realm comes forth. So there was so much witchcraft and occult paraphernalia, see? And then on the same time, this was beginning to reemerge in the church world. Mm. Church world didn't have a page because it's like, well, that's what happens when people do drugs. This is so fascinating. This is such a great conversation we're having here. Yeah. Well, that, but that was then I'm growing up in that. Yeah. And so, see, so then the world is going, well, but, but, but your witchcraft, pharmakia, is in the book of Revelation, and you're not supposed to do it because it, it, it induces you into trances. Right. And so I was like, well, that, you, wait, 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 you're blurring the lines at least. Mm-hmm. But no, you weren't if you were pure. Right. Blessed are pure in heart, they'll see God. But I'm just saying that it muddied the waters because there was not an understanding. To hear God, yes. That's very clear. John 10, 27, my sheep hear my voice, I know them and they follow me. It was easier to teach about hearing God than it was about having a dream, having a vision, being caught up, and having trances. That was for the most part considered a cult, even in the church world. Right. So the level of pioneering that we have done to help bring differentiating. That is why in I have repeated, there's one teaching I have repeated probably more often than anything in my writings, and it's nine scriptural tests to Revelation. Because I gotta ground people, ground people, ground people, so that when they have these encounters, we can know how to test it. Why did I have, I had to learn that because that was the culture in which we lived, because it was much more conservative and it was much more teacher oriented and it was much more cautious and mm, another word, suspicious. Right. So I, but I had to learn how to give biblical presentation. That's why to this day when I write, I'll have at least 200 scripture references in my books, not just stories. Mm. It's because of partially the period of time I grew up in. And it's still, you feel that it's still important today to to lay the foundation of every encounter and make it Christ, Christocentric. And yeah. that's what I feel like, mm-hmm. honestly, if we could just yeah. kind of go here for a minute, we, we're, we're having this yeah. kind of clash between... Mm-hmm. Um, revelatory information Mm -hmm. 
and Christocentric theology. That's right. And where do we stand as far as supernatural encounter mm-hmm. and sharing it with the body of Christ, yes. differentiating it from demonic yes. and, and, and or Holy even Spirit? Soulish. Okay, all right. And yeah, I would because agree with out that. Of, you because you can project, well, that's a whole other subject, but you can project yourself out into a realm right. out of soulishness out of unsanctified desire, out of pride. And you can project yourself into an, an encounter, but I believe we're to be invited into encounters. By the Holy Spirit, by the, Holy by the Spirit, Trinity. By worship. Worship is the culture of God that gets created. Worship and meditative prayer. Mm. Mystical prayer is the word you use. Okay. I'm going to use... Christ, I use more contemplative prayer or Christian meditative prayer and but both are right right and so I'm going to use it's worship and it is meditating on the word in prayer those realms are what create the culture that the spirit of illumination mm. the spirit of revelation loves it wow. and will come it's a nest where the dove of God loves to come and sit in. Wow. Because it's a safe place. Yeah. It's a nest. It's also a grounded place. Part of the tension we live in today is different from the generation I grew up in. Part of it now is it's almost the opposite extreme. We live in a day in the new age prevalence, in the church hunger for the supernatural, and a lot of the church denying the supernatural, so then the church goes to other expressions because of the hunger, and then the authentic, now schools of the supernatural, schools of the prophetic and everything. So we live in a total different era than when I grew up. And the part of a problem now is it's, it's becoming so accepted, awesomely, but the word behind it isn't as strong the teaching behind it and just grounding people in the word of god how to test the spirits to see if they be of god how does deception happen not getting in a fear culture right but a wisdom culture i find that some of that is more lacking today and so we we tend to again come to a a a tension the school of the word, the school of the spirit. And we have people that are spirit, spirit, spirit. And we have people who are word, word, word. Right. But the Acts 13 model was both. Mm. And that's the model that I want to see reproduced. Then in Antioch, there were prophets and teachers. That's the school of the word and the school of the spirit. And that was brought together in ministering unto the Lord with prayer and fasting. By the way, fasting there is a New Testament apostolic concept. It's not just Old Testament. Right. And so it is an arm-twisting performance to earn something from God. No, it's not. It's sacrifice releases power. It's a principle of God. It's a principle of the Word. So anyway, we're in a different period of time now and all the more, again, we need to have the two brought together. And that's one of the things. And they're not contradictory. Oh, they're not. They're working together. They work together. So even together. like yes. taking you back to like yeah. someone like Bob Jones, yeah. who would just have incredible, and you, and you as well, like incredible revelatory yes. information, yes, 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 yes. but also coupling it with the teaching aspect. A prophet that is not a teacher, mm-hmm. you would say definitely needs someone in yes. their life that's going to be able to ground them to the word. Absolutely. To where they would say, you know, I'm going to shelf this revelatory information that I yes. got until I can work it out, possibly theo- theologically. Yeah. Biblically yeah. and in church history. Jewish right. and church history. Yeah. So prophets need teachers, but teachers need prophets. And that is the incubation bed for the authentic apostolic to come forth from. That's the X-13 model. So in that period, you would have a Bob Jones tethered with a Mike Bickle. And that's also joining of the generations. But Mike knew the word. Okay. The word, the word, and he's still, that's what he's known for. 
around right. the world. IHOP has a school of preaching and a school of the word. Very few of the training centers today do. Mm. And that's something that, that's one of their strengths, see? Now, so, but I want to just go to Bob Jones, though. This is something that people might not grasp about Bob. Bob was given by God a, a sharp mind, and he didn't have it growing up. But when he got in these realms of the Holy Spirit, God illuminated this man's mind, and he read the Bible, folks. He read the Bible, he read the Bible, he read the Bible. Mm. So every time I went to his house... He didn't just tell you about the vision he had, the dream or the angel. He would take us, I would say 90% of the time, and he'd go, well, today the word comes from Psalm 96. So he's, all, he's always bringing foundation to... to um, always. Yeah. He would all, his shepherd's rod message, it always had scripture in it. Right. Always did. And so he would, I'm just saying he would say Psalm 96. Well, he would open up like two or three verses out of Psalm 96. I sing to the Lord all the earth. I sing to the Lord. Bless his name. Proclaim his good tidings of salvation from day to day. Tell of his glory. Well, then he might start talking to us about the glory. But where did he get it? From meditation on the word and the Holy Spirit or an angel would illuminate. And it would be like Jeremiah, eat the scroll. Mm. Well, what was the scroll? Scroll's the word of God. Right. And I want, see, people know Bob in a certain context. They know him as the parable prophet who lived in dreams, visions, and visitations. But I want to say, along with that, Bob was an addict to the Bible. And he would always give you a Bible reference, or at least, like Bobby Connor. Mm-hmm. is a really good example. Right. Bobby has extreme prophetic encounters, but Bobby is going to prophesy the Bible. Right. And he's going to give you probably about 20 Bible verses without necessarily saying, well, it was John 3:16. Mm-hmm. But he's going to rattle off the word because he was a Baptist preacher first, so he was word, 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 word. Right. And there's this isn't a total truth. But it is a truth. As to the degree we store up the written word, we give the Holy Spirit something to breathe upon to become a rhema word. That's why the Word of Faith movement had so much impact. Because mm. it was the Bible that the Holy Spirit breathed upon and would quicken. Kenneth Hagin was a prophet. Right. That man I agree with you. moved in... I mean... I've had Jesus appear to me three times, maybe. Uh, in Kenneth Hagin's life, I can't remember one of the books, but it was like, what was it, 21 different times that Jesus came and mm-hmm. sat on his bed and mm-hmm. talked with him and stuff like that, you know? Right. And so Kenneth Hagin was a prophet, but the capacity to be able to explain what he experienced maybe wasn't you know as developed. Mm-hmm. But hey, thank God we are living in Amazing days. This is something, Charlie, that I really love about you because you take people to the Word. You have an amazing, sharp gift. It is really brilliant. It is brilliant. I love it. In fact, see, I can look into your mind in a sense and I can peer in there and I can see the dazzling brilliance that the anointing of the Holy Spirit's on your mind. Mm. Because you've soaked your mind in the Word, wow. haven't you? Yeah. I appreciate yeah. you saying that, actually. Yeah. And, and, and so when I hear you say little phrases uh, like Christology or, or Mysterion or something, I go, oh, where did he get that? You don't get that. You get that because you've studied. Mm. And you've studied some older literature or you've... You, you've peered into some ways. You've asked questions. You study to show yourself approved a workman unto God. So, Charlie, I'm not here beefing you up. I don't have to. But one of the reasons why, for me, it's a delight 
to start to partner with you more is because I see the word and the spirit. And not just word and spirit. There's a third strand. It's called wisdom. Hmm. Mike Bickle taught us to pray for wisdom in every facet of church and kingdom life. Church and kingdom life. Some people only pray for wisdom for ministry. I was taught, not only by Mike, but I was taught, pray for the fullness of the fruit of the Spirit. Pray for the fullness of the gifts of the Spirit. And pray for a third element, a third strand. Pray for wisdom to know how to walk out the fruit, to walk out the gifts. For wisdom for every dimension of church, ministry, world, and kingdom. That's family. A lot of people have got it over here, but they don't have it over there. And you got a great wife. Mm -hmm. And you also have a great wife because you, you treat her right. That's wisdom. It's common sense, but it's wisdom. And a lot of people mess up and long over a long haul because they're so zealous for the gifts. And I have been very zealous for the gifts. But what the Bible says in 1 Corinthians 14, 1, let love be your aim and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts and especially that you might prophesy. So I just like to commend all the people out there for you to call for for the three chord strand that won't quickly be torn apart. So one of my real privileges is to not just find gifted people. There's a lot of gifted people today. Right. But to find teachable people who want to learn how to walk this out in their family, not just in their ministry. Because if they'll learn how to walk out fruit and gifts in their family, tell you what, buddy, they're going to be someone who's going to cast a long shadow. Wow. Their whole life. They're not just flashes in right. the pan. Wow. They're going to, they're a house that's being built of on a firm foundation. No matter what winds or waves, and Jesus prophesied that winds and waves will come against every house. That's not being negative, that's being a realist. Right. Jesus said it. So winds and waves are going to come against every house. And the winds and waves are used to show what's the foundation. Mm. Is it sand or is it rock? Right. And you're looking at legacy. Yeah. And not so much as what's taking place in this moment. I'm not always looking for the highest gifted because gifts are gifts. I'm looking for people who are looking for character, gifting, and wisdom. Or character and gifting, and they don't know the wisdom piece yet, and they long for it. And I think you're one of those people. You, you, you hunger for these ways of God because you don't want to just be, if Jesus tarries, who's given to the urgent. I know some stuff going on behind the scenes in your life, mm -hmm. and it's very um, admirable because you're wanting to build your life in such a manner that you're not going to burn out for Jesus. Right, right. <laughs> burn out or rust out. Mm. And we also learn from things we've suffered, so I've learned a few things because of some mistakes I've made. Right. And in four decades of ministry, you've yeah. seen it all pretty much. Mm -hmm. And you've seen the yeah. mistakes. Mm -hmm. A lot of them. And, so, and, that, and that you feel that that's a a part of a prophetic father mm -hmm. is to, in a sense, get into mm -hmm. a younger generation's life, yep. be a part of it, mm -hmm. cheer them on. Dress like them. D yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Throw it down. Yes. Yeah, whatever. And, and, but yeah. also be there to, to mm -hmm. say, hey, 
here's some mm-hmm. points that I want to correct you in uh, or, yeah. or, yeah. or steer you in the yeah, right direction because you. I see something uh-huh. that is coming ahead that yeah. you don't see yet yeah. because you're 37. Yeah. I'm 66. Or maybe you're 27. Yes. Yeah. Or, or, or 22. Or, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Right. Exactly. 17. And you're just 17. About, right. Today. Right. 17 today. You know? Absolutely. And see, but you're already a father. You're already a father in your generation. People look to you as a role model. You might not realize that, but you're already a father. I don't know if I was a father yet at 37. I don't know. I don't think that we were that far enough developed yet. As far as the prophetic. Pastoring, yes. Teachers, yes. Evangelists, maybe. Apostles and prophets, no. But uh, you're already a father, and that's why there's so much following. It's already happening. Mm -hmm. It's not just because of your great gifting. It's because you also package it in a certain way, and you're already wanting to see the next year. You wouldn't be doing this interview. You didn't hunger for yourself, and you didn't care for the people who are coming after you. Yeah. You care for them. Oh, 100%. Oh, you do? Yes. Are you sure? Yeah. Why? Because I, I want to see the church <laughs> go to where it needs to be, but yet yeah, keep the foundational principles of the, of the apostles and prophets and the church fathers in perspective of what we're presenting to the 21st century church. Absolutely. I think that that is vitally important because we can go into, into excess yeah. if we're not careful. Or error. Mm-hmm. Excess is one thing. Because the swing of the pendulum will occur as a new truth is introduced. It's almost always introduced in excess. Right. And then it comes back and it comes more into where it becomes uh, amalgamated. It becomes meshed. It becomes another one of the ingredients in God's recipe. But when a new thing, a progressive truth, a revelation comes, it tends to come with the swing of the pendulum. Yeah. It does. It just does. Then that's not wrong. So excess is one issue. Error and deception is where I got my eyeballs out for. Mm. Just full-blown heresy. Um, uh, in or the sense what of goes like, towards full-blown right. full heresy. So it's like today I'm watching fruit fall out mm-hmm. in marriages, divorces, adulteries of Holy Ghost people. Right. Of young people who got touched dramatically when they were young. But they weren't taught boundaries for the bank. They weren't taught, excuse me, banks for the river. Mm-hmm. They weren't taught character. They weren't taught how to test the spirits. And they weren't taught about in, you know these things. And they were just taught about how to flow. Right, gift. How gift, to, gift, How gift. to go and blow. Wow, yeah. And they blew up. They get married in a flash. They don't build a relationship or they don't have the life skills. Now, I want to now, I got, I feel a correction for myself. Sorry about that. I I have, I feel a little minor correction myself in that I do not want to be a scoffer. And I don't want to say that all of these schools of the Uh, The Spirit are not teaching people life skills. No, no, no. There are some absolute phenomenal. In fact, a good example is right here at Grace Center at their School of Supernatural Life because they teach people how to prophesy. They teach people how to heal the sick. They also teach people about um, restoring the foundations, how to pray the Bible, um, they teach people uh, seven life languages, and they teach people about life skills. And what I long to see is, is more of that model, because it is a phenomenal model, because it helps develop character mm-hmm. and just life skills. Because even to this day, Charlie, there is only one half of 1% of the body of Christ 
that gets released into full-time vocational ministry. Right. Now, Cheon, in my life, corrected me on some of my presentation because I would be addressing almost only for a period of time these one percenters and I wouldn't be necessarily addressing the 99 percenters who are supposed to also walk in these rounds, but they're going to walk it in the marketplace. Right. And they're not necess- They're not Ascension Gift Ministry. They they're- might be. Okay. But, but in their field, on their, on their, yeah. on their mountain. And that was okay. another adjustment I learned through Peter Wagner. Okay. Because there, I remember being at the Apostolic Council of Prophetic Elders and see Peter Wagner every year would present to us his new teaching. This is a big one. And so he had presented to us, and we would evaluate it or what, you know, he'd bounce it to us, and we'd be like, wow, I was like, what about this? And we would dialogue. And, and so I remember when he presented to us like apostles, but we could call it prophets, vertical, horizontal, hyphenated, and marketplace. Huh? What you talking about? Because in the apostolic, all that had previously existed was spiritual amways where this person's over that person, that person's over this right. person. And that's not wrong because that can be accountability. But horizontal is where you have a excuse me, a gathering and ring to call leaders together. Well, that could be an apostle too. You're a gathering apostle. Or a hyphenated Bishop Bill Hammond, I heard him tell that when he was growing up in the things of the Spirit, they're like, say a prophet, well, you can only be a prophet. You cannot be a prophet and a pastor. Mm. You cannot be a prophet and an apostle. You cannot be a prophet and an event. You're you have to be a one. You have to be a pastor. You have to be a teacher. Mm. You have to be. But in the scriptures, the salutations in the Pauline epistles will say, "I, Paul, a bond servant of the Lord Jesus Christ, an apostle and a teacher." He was a hyphenated right apostle teacher. This took me a lot to learn to understand who I am because I was wired kind of funky, kind of different for prophets. And so I felt for a long time kind of like, I don't belong. When you were in Kansas City. Not like, just in you, Kansas okay. City and even since then. Wow. Because it was like, because, because I was, of your gift mix between the, yes. the prophet and the teacher. Because it was more accepted to be a prophet evangelist or to be a prophet apostle, but a prophet and a teacher, that it's that's schizo. Mm. That it can make you schizo, right? Because that's two totally. I mean, in a sense, it's two totally different worlds. It is two different worlds, but they're supposed to be complementary and not competitory. And that took me a while because I, Paul, a bond servant. First of all, where's your identity? Paul's idea. He didn't say that he was an apostle or a teacher first. He says first he was a bond servant. Mm-hmm. Are we bond servants first? Wow, that's important. It's really important. And Paul did not identify himself first as an apostle. Mm. He had bond, he had, he identified himself not even as a friend. He identified himself, and this is going to go against some contemporary teachings. He identified himself as a servant first of the Lord Jesus Christ, a servant looks to the eyes of his master. A servant listens to the master's voice, and a servant only does what the master says. We're all first called to be bond servants. Then he was an apostle, and he was a teacher. He was a teacher, and he was an apostle. He was an apostolic teacher. He was a teaching apostle. I ended up with a double, and it was a opposite double, that was in conflict within myself because mm-hmm. I grew up under teachers, Derek Prince, and everybody that was in the stream I was a part of were brilliant teachers. But I had the call of a pastor and a prophet because I wa- operated from the heart. So I was a pastor who had a prophetic call. And then the prophetic emerged and emerged and emerged and it kept on emerging to where it was more prophet than pastor. And then the imprint of the teacher was always on me. But it wasn't till I had a restoring the foundations of Chester Betsy Kilstra that I'm in an encounter and I see a vault with a door and a wheel and 
And Chester says to me, well, do you want to go up to it? And I, there was something was in me that I didn't want to. I didn't want to see what was in there. Uh-huh. And he says, well, would, would, you, would, you, would you like to see it? No, I don't. And he said, well, would you be willing to? And I said, yeah, if I enact on my will, yes. So I approach by an act of my will. I go up to the door, door opens, and out walks. It was a shock to me. A young man came out of the safe. I shake hands with him in this interactive encounter. And he says, hi, tells me his name. And he says, I was the seed that had to fall into the ground in order for you to come forth. My calling was to be a teacher. Your calling was to be a prophet. That I was a seed, so my mother had a miscarriage of a little boy five months old. On July 3rd, 1951, that day, my mom prayed, said, Lord, if you'll give me another son, I will dedicate him to Christ's service, not ministry, service. One year later to the very date, I was born, July 3rd, 1952, with a double anointing on my life. And I didn't understand this until, shoot, 10 years ago. And then I finally have had peace within myself. Oh, I get it now. I inherited the call of another. Mm. And so I have a double call as a prophet and a teacher and a teacher who's a prophet. Some of you out there, you might have a conflict at times. And God really is in charge and he will help you. But Paul the Apostle was a hyphenated. So I remember the time, Peter Wagner. Vertical, horizontal gatherers, hyphenated, and marketplace. Because not all prophets are called to platforms on church conferences, like you and me. Mm. But some of their greatest expression, I'm going to use the name, Jordan Rubin with ancient nutrition he's a prophet Mm -hmm. and his wife is a prophetess but their field is is yeah they're involved in church yes he'll speak at times but his field is the world his field is health and healing and education and wholeness and so he he is a prophet But he's a prophet to the marketplace. We're all supposed to be in the church, but we're to be equipped in the church to be sent from the church into the world. And so today it's a different era. And we have got incredible diversity today that didn't exist when I was coming forth. See, you are not in the box that I was in when I was growing up. If I had it to do over, I would have probably invested myself equally in the arts and entertainment as I would have the church mountain. Wow. Uh Mm Uh-huh. I probably would have. So I helped raise my kids. And where are they? All four in the arts, entertainment, and media. Now, I don't live my life through them, but I wonder if they picked up some of the prophetic culture and my desire to not just live it in the church world, church mountain, religion mountain, but take it as being salt and light out into the world. So you've got an opportunity because you will be a media prophet. You'll be a, you are a prophet evangelist. But with a teacher, you're actually probably trifold, mm. which does bring the probability, which I'm not even going to prophesy this, that it could grow into an authentic apostolic. The apostle, just don't, you know, this is so common, but it really does work. In the hand, the teacher, 
The little finger gives balance to the hand. The second finger, you know, going from that direction, is where the ring is. It's the love, it's the pastor. The middle is, of course, the long, it's the evangelist. The pointer is the prophet, but the thumb. Mm -hmm. Because you can hold the hammer, you can build. Without that, you can't hold anything. You can't, you can't hold anything. Right. And so, and this is the only finger that can touch all the others. And so just in that little simple illustration, the, the apostle needs to be able to teach, needs to have pastored, understand pastoring, needs the capacity to reach out to be a pioneer and break open new territory and walk with prophets and have a revelatory dimension in their own life so then they can apply it all, build mm -hmm. it. Mm -hmm. So they're called wise master builders. Well, that's probably for another day. Yeah. <laughs> so good. Yeah, so good. Anyway. Well, yeah. you pray for um, you pray today just for sure. those that are listening, watching um, mm -hmm. our generation. Yeah, we sure. need guys like you, James. Yeah, prophetic fathers that are given their perspective, and um, we could have touched on a lot of things today. Yeah. But I kind of felt that you know we touched on so much for yeah. people to digest. But mm -hmm. would you just bless yeah. people today? Just sure. pray for them and yeah. Hey, and by the way, I've, I've oriented some of this, you know, towards Charlie, but this isn't just about Charlie. This is about you because God wants you to be all that you can be in Christ Jesus. And we want to honor of those who have gone before us. And yet at the same time, you have to have a walk of God for yourself. I, in one way, spiritual gifts can be imparted. Romans chapter 1, verse 17, through the laying on of hands. But in another way, you got to get the call yourself. Mm. Some people say, I want your mantle. I want your mantle. I want your mantle. Right. Well, I've gotten a little frustrated with some of that, okay, being blunt. And mm -hmm. I just say, well, I'm not through with mine yet. And if I have one, I'm not through with it yet. Yeah, come on. And so, and guess what? You can get yours the same way I got mine. Right, 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 right. <laughs> Is through a relationship and by association, by walking with others who are forerunners before you, like I have with Bob Jones, like I have with Mahesh Shabda, like I have with others. So I bless uh, Charlie and Bryn, but I also bless all the watchers and listeners, and I just call forth for a grace to be an avid learner, to constantly hunger and constantly thirst. And I speak as well a blessing for the threefold prayer blessing. I declare the fullness of gifting of all nine, all 27 gifts of the Holy Spirit without measure. And I pray, though, if it's going to be that realm, I pray for the fullness of the fruit of the Spirit, of love, joy, peace, patience, gentleness, and something so unusual called kindness and self-control. But I speak kindness over people because if we will walk in kindness and not just only revelation if we will couch it in kindness it'll win people's hearts i believe it is love but i believe that there's a revival of kindness that is coming so i bless the fullness of fruit of the spirit the fullness of the gifts of the Spirit, but I also pray for the wisdom ways of God concerning life, ministry, and every facet of church and kingdom life be upon you and upon all those who hunger and thirst for righteousness in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thanks so much, James. Yeah. I think I... 
you know, get some food or something. Yeah. Right. <laughs> I think we're going to we're gonna go have a life We're going to go hang out. Maybe we'll talk about clothes. Yeah, come on. <laughs> or I want to yeah. know, it's like, what moose do you wear? Oh, I'll have to tell you about yeah, it. Yeah, but actually, I don't need any, so, you know, I'm past <laughs> that one. We'll work it out. Okay. All right. Podcasts are definitely trending right now. There are so many brand new podcasts that are hitting the market. And I think that iTunes is kind of overwhelmed. And one of the ways that iTunes aggregates what's hip and relevant from the rest of the noise that's hitting the web is through ratings and reviews. A bunch of you have already taken the time to leave a rating and a review of this podcast. And I just wanted to say thanks. You guys are incredible and you're so supportive and I love you. And if you haven't had a chance to take that minute or two to leave a review. If you do that, that'd be incredible. And I've created a shortcut to get you there. It's thedarrenshow.com. That's thedarrenshow.com. You can give it one star and that means that you think it's kind of lame or you can give it five stars and that means that you think this thing be dope, be tight, be off the chain. So if you would take the minute or two to leave a review, that would be mighty fine of you. Again, it's thedarrenshow.com. Thanks guys.